Um, good morning, everyone on live stream, and good morning, everyone here. Um, just so privileged to be able to stand here um, with this opportunity to speak into your heart, into your life today. So I just want to start off with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray for everyone that is watching right now. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you open our hearts to you, that we may receive your word. And I pray that your word can be a source of encouragement, but also challenge and guide us. Revive us, Lord. And I really feel like the Lord is saying he's going to quench us today. Quench us, Lord, all the dry areas of our walk, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Trench us. Not quench us. <laughs> wow, thank you, worship team, today. That worship was so anointing. Anointed. I feel like the presence of the Holy Spirit is, there's almost like a viscosity to it. Like I can reach out and feel it. It's like so thick. And drench us, Lord. So, good morning, church. Um, today, I wanted to explore something I've really found really interesting lately. Have you ever heard people, and I'm sorry, especially Christians, utter these phrases that sound really biblical, lovely, and nice? For example, maybe you've gone through an unfortunate situation. Maybe illness afflicts you. And this is actually quite commonly used, unfortunately, when someone passes. Phrases like, everything happens for a reason, or God won't give you more than you can handle. Some like to call these phrases scripture bombs, like boom, it makes an impact, and it sounds nice and cozy in theory. So I get it. I'm um, being a little socially awkward myself. I've probably said phrases like these to people because they are just easy things to throw out when you don't know what to say, when things get difficult and you don't know how to disciple and how to you know, really um, heal someone's soul, what to say. And it can sound really lovely, like I said, and it can act like a band-aid that you just move on over your problems or someone else's problems. And these phrases have eventually proliferated and gone around the community, and that's why you commonly hear it. However, when you pause and you actually think about it, you go, hang on a moment. When we break it down, these phrases may not often be completely biblically grounded. And sometimes they're more like wishful thinking mantras instead. These phrases are called half-truths by Adam Hamilton in his study book. Half-truth meaning that if you break it down and if you go looking for it, there may be biblical truths and aspects embedded in the message. But also, the other half, there are some notions that might need to be challenged. And I am here to challenge these notions today. I'm going to focus on this boom, scripture bomb. God does not give you more than you can handle. Who's heard this one before? Who's used this one before? 
No. <laughs> now, the purpose of this message is not to attack anyone who likes this saying or, you know, have said this. Don't feel too bad. But just opening it up to be analyzed and challenged because that's what we do in church, right? It only takes a scan through the pages time and time again in the Bible that indeed, actually, people have had to deal with more than they can handle. From Old Testament to New Testament, you'll find it in every single book. You only need to recall, Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. Moses had to lead over 600,000 unreformable Israelites that constantly grumbled and worshipped idols for 40 years. Jeremiah was thrown into a cistern, amongst other things. Jesus' disciples were persecuted and died on the cross for following and proclaiming him. So maybe this phrase, God does not give you more than you can handle, I wonder, is it quite true? Well, stick with me and we'll just have to see. I will be dissecting this phrase into three different categories or subheadings, if you want to take notes. It'll be what we can handle, what God gives and what he does not give, and the calling that God gives. So let's go into our first one, what we can handle. I want to give you some good news. There is some truth when we say the phrase, God does not give you more than you can handle. As the origins actually trace back to the concept of temptation. It stems from 1 Corinthians 10, in which Paul states, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Hallelujah, let us rejoice today that he has promised us that we can endure temptation. I love that word endure. It brings a sense of this may not be easy, but if you hang in there, it will produce good fruit. It will produce stamina. And you need stamina to run a long race, right? So I promise you, I'm not diverting from the main topic, but I do want to touch on this notion of temptation for a bit because we all know that we're having a tough time right now in this current situation. And that's okay, we're human, don't beat yourself up. So when the lockdown started happening again, the daily conversation in my workplace turned to alcohol real fast, dangerously and concerningly fast. In fact, according to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, one in five people reported increased alcohol use during this time. And as a person that has struggled with drinking in the past, I can relate to those of you who are having a hard time with temptation to turn to these substances or whatever you turn to as a crutch in tough times. And in this report, people reported that they just drink because they're bored. There's nothing to do. So I want to encourage you with this verse above, 
that he's provided a way out, even if it feels unbearable. And you will find that way out by making that choice to share all your burdens with him and claim the victory that Christ has already brought you. This is not a motivational speech to you. I want to testify that I once, that once I made that decision that I didn't want to binge drink anymore. I didn't want to be that person anymore. I told God that. He broke all those chains from me. And throughout this lockdown, through all the lows, the depression, the anxiety, I've never felt an urge to drink. So all it takes, guys, is, an, is a repentant heart. Amen? I do want to drink water, though. Now, to segue back to our main topic at hand, if we're to be truthful, when we're saying God does not give you more than you can handle, we're not often talking to someone about temptation. We're usually directing it to someone in response to someone who is going through adversity. Is that true? This saying might have been misconstrued as according to Colin Mattoon, the word for temptation in Greek is perathmos, which can be interchangeably referred to as temptation in the face of sin or a trial or any type of suffering. So although the word itself can refer to testing, if we really want to get a true understanding, we cannot just rely on the lexicon itself. We have to look at the context of this text. In the verses preceding, Paul exhorts to the believers in Corinth, a city rife with idol worship and debauchery, in verse 8, to not indulge in sexual immorality. And in verse 14, directly after the above passage, he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So here we can clearly surmise that he is speaking on overcoming temptation to sin. Paul is not speaking on suffering. In this instance, I believe, we can see that we shouldn't cherry pick scriptures to suit our arguments or our personal beliefs, right? I've done it plenty of times myself. I saw this post online the other day, the other day. get ready. It's hard to hear God when you've already decided what you want him to say. Wow. I really had to think about that. <laughs> it's hard to hear God when you've already decided what you want him to say. We owe it to ourselves as believers to do our own research, to understand the word in the full richness of its context and meaning. It's not just up to the pastor to do the work, although he always does a great job to give it up to our pastor. I know the amount of research and seeking and prayer he goes through to bring a sound word. No. So we can see that we will not be given more than we can handle when it comes to temptation in the face of sin. 
But what about the rest of our walk? We'll come to this, so let's continue on to my second point. Next, I want to hone in on the emphasis on the words in this phrase, God does not give you more than you can handle. I want to focus in on these two words, God and give. In the context of God doesn't give us more than we can handle. If you are experiencing suffering, whether it be through illness, violence, even death of someone, these words in this sentence can insinuate that it is God in the first place that is giving you this suffering because he thinks you can handle it. Fundamentally, we believe God is good, right? Well, he's certainly not evil and he certainly cannot be both, right? Jesus said in Mark 10, 18, no one is good except God alone. We also see in the Bible that God's promises are good. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like sifting shadows. He also promises that his plans for us are good and not for evil. So on top of that, God won't give you more than you can handle in regards to suffering, not being scripturally sound. When you say this, it can actually cause others great pain and really hurt them. It lacks compassion and paints God not as a good and loving father, but as one that inflicts pain on his children to perhaps teach them a lesson. And it is this image of God that the construct of religion has used to tie up and restrict so many of his children from truly having a free relationship with him. This also goes against theodicy, the defense of God's goodness and power in the contrary face of evil. As Adam Hamilton states in his book, it also goes completely against the sacrifice of Jesus, who in him we meet a God who's so far from dishing out suffering and heartache and pain, takes in all upon God's own self. What God does give is of course goodness, providence, faith, and also the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I can go on and on. And I really believe that right now he's giving joy, I believe right now he's removing that veil, that garment of grief. He's lifting that black up. And I see that for those who are grieving and despairing, he's turning your morning into dancing. And he's turning your night into morning. He gives us kingdom. He gives us eternity. And we need to lift our eyes to that. I don't believe in essence God gives us suffering. So <laughs> this might open a can of worms. No, it doesn't align with the God I know who has delivered me from trials time and time again. Allowing suffering, however, is a whole other different point and it's a whole different series of messages. There are cause and effects in this broken world and some suffering are due to consequences due to our choices or other people's choices. 
not due to God's will. One of the fundamental steps in our walk as Christians is the need to consolidate God's goodness with the suffering in this world. That is essentially the premise of the Odyssey. And yet many people walk away because they blame God for the pain in this world and for the pain in their lives. However, John 16:33, Jesus already told us that we will suffer. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So, in this story in Mark, just because the disciples were in the boat with Jesus, it didn't mean the storm didn't come and rock it, right? And so it is with our lives. Our lives don't become magically perfect when we give our lives to Jesus. In fact, it is said that a righteous man may have many troubles. And Jesus constantly reminds us of the cost of following him. Luke 14, 28. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? So I don't think the focus in our walk should be why there's evil and suffering. It exists. That's the reality. This is a fallen world and we inherited a fallen nature. We can't change that. But we have been redeemed by Christ. But instead of blaming God or being fearful that he'll afflict us with major crisis in our lives, or even being complacent because we think we can handle it because we heard that he won't give us more than we can handle, right? I believe the focus has never changed. Pray, seek, commune with him so that the grace of God is sufficient to overcome it all together with him. And just digressing back, when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus and the storm hit, the disciples were fearful and woke him up. And Jesus actually rebuked them. He said to them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Jesus called the disciples to faith and action through that faith. So I believe that we're not just to sit through our trials, but we're to take action through the authority of which our Savior bought for us, to contend for ourselves and for others going through that storm. So many times we think we can handle it by ourselves. And I've been there myself throughout during this lockdown. I struggled as well. And who knows that when trouble comes, it's not always just one storm. It's a barrage of storm. It's a hailstorm. It's a hurricane. It's a tsunami. Who here has experienced that? Trouble just follows, right? And I think this is especially true of bills, right? You know, being married now and moving out, I've been hit with that really depressing, stuck reality. Bills. <sighs> now I can understand. When one bill rolls in, all of them roll in. 
you start getting bills for things that you never even heard about. Bills to park your car in your own garage, bills for your front lawn being too messy. You know, my husband got fined because he was too good looking. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I digress, I'm just joking. You know what I mean. And of course, when everything goes wrong, this is, I find this so relatable. Something wrong has to always happen with the car. Like it always breaks down when everything else is going wrong. Right? So I was experiencing this storm through the lockdown. So I didn't have a job anymore. It's kind of in limbo. The, everything came in, the gas bill came in and they haven't charged us gas for a whole year and we had to pay it ASAP. We had to fight a mold infestation and the mold removers couldn't even come in so we had to do it ourselves, I guess, as good as we can. And then my dog had to get surgery. She's all right, by the way. Um, it's not something I should discuss about on camera, <laughs> what she had to go through. So just a barrage, a pile of things to deal with and no money coming in from my side. If I had applied this band-aid phrase to my situation, God doesn't give us more than we can handle, I would be saying that God was the one giving me the troubles in the first place. But like I said, this goes against the God I know that has delivered me and protected me time and time again from trouble. And it wasn't as if like I was worried about um, provision, like I said, no problems with money. I knew that he would provide. But I realized my identity was so tied up to my job and the ability to provide food and income that when it was stripped away, who was I? I couldn't handle it. That depression ate at me and I just completely shut down. No, I couldn't even text anyone, I couldn't call anyone. I was just so paralyzed. I couldn't be vulnerable to anyone. And who here has heard of the phrase credited to Einstein? Adversity introduces a man to himself. These quotes are often self-praising and they're reliant on human strength and human intellect and human pride to overcome obstacles, right? But I believe as Christians, adversity introduces us to God. It strips us of our prideful nature and the materialistic aspects of our spiritual identity. It forces us to get on our knees and say, God, I need you. I can't do this alone. And what's his response? He says, you've never been alone. I've been waiting for you to come to me. So let's remove us from the equation for now. We've been focusing far too much on us, on ourselves. Don't forget that we are a partnership. God won't give you more than he can handle. Not what you can handle, what he can handle. Just have to trust in him. 
think back of, on how far he's brought you. Know that he's never let you go. You're not going to slip through his fingers. Okay, we've removed ourselves from the equation for one second, and now I want to bring it back. <laughs> I'm going to bring it back to our walk. Now, this point, this might sound contradictory to everything I've been talking about. This is the third point, the final point. But in fact, God will probably give you more than you can handle. And I'm sorry, I'm not talking about prosperity here. Although God loves to bless, I don't think I need more beamers than I can handle. In fact, John Piper said, if God's love for his children is to be measured by our health, wealth, and comfort in this life, God hated the Apostle Paul. Let's just chew on that for a moment. It's getting uncomfortable. So, they want me to repeat <laughs> the phrase. John Piper said, if God's love for his children is to be measured by our health, wealth, and comfort in this life, God hated the Apostle Paul. So what I'm talking about here when I say God will give us more than we can handle, I'm talking here about his call to you, the calling on your life, the challenge he has issued to you. Of course, we are all commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. But he may also have plans for you, for ministry, for volunteering, and that's something you have to seek God about and something God places in each and every one of our hearts. In this case, the phrase God won't give you more than you can handle is completely defunct. I can say that with confidence because we consistently see in the Bible and in the testimonies of our brothers and sisters that God always gives us more than we can handle. Like I stated at the beginning, Moses was called to lead over 600,000 Israelites for 40 years, only to never step into the promised land. David was called to slay Goliath, a giant warrior with only a pebble and a slingshot. Our own savior was beaten till he was unrecognizable and died on the cross for us. Same as Paul, beaten and thrown into prison eventually killed. These are not situations and callings that you can look at as a human and think, yeah, I can handle that. Yeah, God, give it to me, I can handle that. And that's the point of it. It's supernaturally driven. But you know what all these men had in common? They said, yes, God, I'll do it because you give me the power and confidence to do so. You give me the boldness. God is the one who gives us the call. And sometimes he allows us to see how helpless we are without him to A, destroy our pride and B, partner with him.
I just want to preface here before I go on. It's not that I like to talk about myself <laughs> and I'm far from being an expert on doctrine and the word, but I don't want you to think that I'm here to sell you a motivational speech. I want you to see that you're not alone and that I completely relate to everything I'm talking about as well because I've been through, been through it. And if you talk to me outside of this setting, any of my family members tell me that it's hard to get to me to open up and I'm pretty vague. But I believe God wants me to share my heart with you. So is that okay? I'm not tooting my own horn here, right? But when I was tasked with becoming a youth leader or a young adult leader, I couldn't handle it. It felt like I was on the edge of a cliff. I was going to fall off. I wonder if any other youth leaders feel like that. Let me know. There's one of them there. <laughs> it was scary. Me, a leader, I'm someone that gets anxious when they have to order food. I'm someone that has to practice a script before I make a phone call sometimes. So, because I'm so scared of messing up. Yet, some of these Bible figures I spoke about above had moral failings and things society wouldn't characterize as flaws. Moses killed someone. Many scholars like Garfinkel and Shell theorized that Moses had a speech impediment due to Exodus 4, 10 to 13, where it says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither here to fall, nor since thou hast spoken unto your servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. David, of course, also murdered. And in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 3, it says, But God said to him, You shall not build a house for my name, because you have been a man of war and you have shed blood. Paul was the best Pharisee until God transformed him. Yet the failings of flaws did not limit God because their attitude was, yes, God, he could use them. Sometimes I too have felt like a complete failure in what God has called me to. I wondered why my youth couldn't stay united. Was it because I was a bad leader? And then now we couldn't meet up and we had to make Zoom work. And technology can be really painful and frustrating. So I was frustrated. And in essence, I think I was a bad leader because I relied way too much on my own effort. I took things personally and I still have trouble with being easily hurt. But it's only when things fall apart that you have to turn to God, right? He's the one that gave me the call in the first place. You know, even this word right now is a bit too much for me to handle. I was like, what did I get myself into, God? But I have a fear of the Lord, and I know that I must open my mouth and speak. So yes, God. I believe that people after God's heart are willing to get uncomfortable. 
and in maybe even their prayer to be shaken up and to get uncomfortable. I've been so convicted because I have been too accustomed to comfort. If I'm tired, I don't feel like it, I don't want to hear what God has to say to me, I don't want to be convicted, I might elect to not read my Bible. But believers around the world are risking their lives to even own one and to meet up and fellowship. And it makes me think, do I regard this book as just a guideline where you can pick and choose your own teachings, customize your own life? Or do I hold this book as a life source, as truth that shines light, that expels the darkness within me and in this world? There are so many scripture bombs that are right out there right now. And when you hear it, it sounds good. It sounds motivational. You know, things like, your victory is just around the corner. But God's already won the victory for us right now. It's not around the corner. It's not the school bus. But when it all boils down, it's just hype. And when that hype fades, there's no meat. There's no meat to chew on. So I want to encourage everyone that's listened to this message to utilize more critical thinking. I hope I've challenged you to think about some things, but pair it with the guidance of the Holy Spirit because that is so important when you're reading the Bible so you don't hear what you think you want to hear, right? Be careful so that you don't take things for face value. And I encourage you to really delve into the beauty of the scriptures. I don't want you to take God will give me more than I can handle in a negative way. I mean to encourage you to focus on God's promises and to look forward to overcoming trials together with him, resulting in constant and consistent growth in your relationship and your identity as his child, his disciple, and his bride. And I hope that instead of saying, God will not give you more than you can handle, maybe we can rephrase it so that it might be something like, may God give you the grace to overcome anything that is thrown at you. Amen? So as I was praying today, I really felt that there are people there that are not really handling this situation. And you can't handle it by yourself. I was stuck in that rut, but by God's grace, he's placed friends and family around me, that fellowship that look after me, and even just a simple text message from my friend that said, I miss you, just brought my heart back to life. And I know that we're not meant to do this alone. You know, we need each other. So I, re I really sensed and saw this really heavy spirit of despair today. So I want to pray for those who are despairing. 
I feel led by God to speak this verse over you. Psalm 121. God, the help of those who seek him. A song of ascents. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. When I read this, I got this image. It was as though all these people just looking, looking down like this. Despondent. They're just looking down. So I want to encourage you. God's asking you, have the faith to lift your eyes to the heavens where everything comes from. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the testimonies. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're breaking something. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that heaven is opening, Lord. Lord Jesus, I pray through this message today that those watching will understand that we are not meant to handle everything by ourselves. God, we believe that you will not give us more than you can handle. Lord, we believe you are embracing us, you're covering us with your protection and your blood. And you're giving us the faith to lift our eyes and hearts to you. I pray, Father, for your overflowing grace to overcome anything my brothers and sisters are despairing over. We thank you for your providence. And we don't dare to question your sovereignty. Thank you that you are lifting our eyes to the future. Even though it feels like we're doing nothing right now. Lord, I pray that you ignite the fire and the passion in our bellies, in our hearts, in our heads, that we will say yes, God, to your calling. Yes, God, to whatever you ask us to do. Lord Jesus, that we may be bold enough to ask you to shake us. But you are with us in that boat, through that storm. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Let it not just be a book, but our life source and truth. I know a lot of people have difficulty reading the Bible. I just break it off. I see these scales being lifted. I pray, Lord Jesus, renew, renew our hearts, Lord, renew our minds, Father. That Holy Spirit come and guide my brothers and sisters when they read the Bible, that it will just transform their lives. It will come to life right off the page, Father, that those who have had difficulty understanding and reading this, I've seen like this block. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you remove that block, Father. Lord Jesus, thank you for the testimonies from my brothers and sisters that they will come and say they love to read the Bible that it has transformed their lives. And we praise you, Jesus, that you partner with us and you quell the storms of life. Thank you, Lord. Amen.